Good morning, church. Um, I hope you had a good time of worship. I'm not muted, right? Um, usually in Zoom, I will ask them to give a thumbs up, but I don't think here I'm able to. Um, oh, yikes, I came out from the website. I needed... Okay. Um, two days ago, I received a notification from my phone and they asked me to upgrade uh, from Android 10 to Android 11. Oh, okay, sorry. I thought they were talking to me. Not used to it. Um, and one of the updates include changes in the interface. Changes in the interface, huh? Um, and so hoping that it feels like a new phone, I, I opt for it without hesitation. Now, all of us love new things. Am I correct? Maybe if you could write on the chat, what is one new thing you received this year? Could you please write it down? What is one new thing you received this year? And, and I will read it out. Come. One new thing you received this year. Okay. Uh, Cat says an air fryer. Uh, um, I'm sure the person who bought it is very thoughtful. Actually, I bought it a lot. But, uh, what, are, what are the new things you bought? Oh, what are the new things do you have this, from this year? Ah, a smartwatch. Jonathan says a smartwatch. What else? No, this is not Pagi Party, this is actually part of the talk. A new mark, bracelet. A new handphone, huh? Auntie Margaret says a new handphone. Farah says perfume. Thank you. I mean, all of us love getting new things, am I correct? Um, what we don't love is replacing these new things with the old. And, and it, may be, it may be a lot of reasons. Some with familiarity, some are nostalgia. Some because the smell, I hope it's not the taste. Um, and some just don't want to throw and we become, we become hoarders. Now, if I change, like, if, we, if I were to say, um, experience changes in your life, some of us may be, we may, we may have mixed feelings. Some of us love it. Uh, some of us hate it. A new job, um, a, new, a new house, um, a new place to stay, um, a new status. Uh, some of us recently had a new status, uh, whether it's from father to grandfather, singles to double, uh, 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 being in a relation to being uh, engaged, uh, being engaged to being married. Actually, no, no, not really, but because there's no wedding I've attended yet. But we all, have, we all have changes in our lives. And really, change is in, uh, inevitable in life. I remember reading a quote from a philosopher that says, change is the only constant. And there's actually much truth in that. Because the Christian life is all about change. In fact, if I can phrase it right, the Christian life is fundamentally a changed life. When it comes to the subject of changing our life, we all feel the same. We all feel the same as going to heaven. We all want it, but we'd rather not go through the process to get it. Now today, we will look at really what, what entails a changed life for us as a Christian. Come, shall we pray? Father, even as we speak today, may you use us, uh, may you use me to speak to them. Speak to me as well, even as I speak. Um, I pray that your spirit will be with us, um, that you will use today's talk 
to really, to really, Lord, change us. This I pray in your most holy and precious name. Amen. The month of April, the theme is the new life. Now, we kick-started the theme with key events of the Christian faith. And that is the cross and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. But you see, the Christian life does not just revolve around these two events. Don't get me wrong, I mean these two are very significant events. It began with these two events. But it also goes beyond these two as well. Now, what do I mean by that? The topic that we had the last two weeks are actually a testament to that. We learn how the Christian life is one of purpose, as Pastor Daniel shared. And then we also learn that the Christian life is one of significance, as Marianne shared. Um, nevertheless, more than the purpose, more than just purpose and significance, the foundation between these two is really a life that has been changed. Now, if we have to claim, now if we have claimed to believe in Jesus, but we are still living just as we did before, can I, can I challenge us to examine if we truly believe and accepted Jesus? Can I repeat again? If, sorry, can I repeat again? If we claim to believe in Jesus, but we are still living just as we did before, can I challenge us to examine if we truly believe and, accept, and accepted Jesus? This is a very bold statement, huh? but it's not a statement made by me. It's a statement that's made by many, many of the apostles in the New Testament. We'll be looking at one today, taken from Ephesians 4, 17 to 22, and reading from the ESV version. Um, you have it on the slides. Allow me to read. Now this I say, and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God, because of the ignorance that is in them, due to their hardness of heart, they have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy, to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learn Christ. Assuming that you have heard about Him and were taught in Him, as the truth is in Jesus, to put off your old self, which belong to your former manner, sorry, not mammal, your former manner of life, and is corrupt through deceitful desires and to be renewed in the spirit of your mind and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Now, unlike most of Paul's letter, right, Ephesians is actually not written in response to a particular circumstances or controversy. And, and because of that, right, the book of Ephesians has an almost reflective quality. Now, here's an example while the book of Colossians focuses on Christ as the head or the headship of the church, um, Ephesians emphasizes the church as Christ's body. Now, in the passage that we read, Paul actually paints a very grim picture of how unbelievers are in Ephesus. Well, I'm not saying that all unbelievers live such a bad life, but Paul writes that they. But here, right, you see, Paul writes in the futility of their mind being darkened in their understanding, excluded from the life of God because of their ignorance that is in them. Now, Paul paints a very, very bleak picture describing those who have not encountered Christ. But if you see from verse 20, there is, there is a change. From verse 20 on, until verse 24, Paul writes 
about this changed life. This there's a sharp contrast to the unbelievers. Now, what is this changed? Paul gives us four aspects. Allow me to share with you. The first aspect Paul writes is this: the changed life begin by coming to know Christ personally. Sometimes relationship is very abstract, right? I mean, we can say we know a person, but the question is how personally do we know the person? I give you an example. Huh? I can say I know the Bangi MP, Ong Ken Ming. I mean, I met him once or twice. But can I, I won't, I'm not able to say I personally know him very, very well. But you see, interestingly here, Paul listed four factors, three, sorry, three factors to evaluate what it means to know Christ personally, which is to learn Christ, hearing Christ and being taught in Him, and knowing the truth in Jesus. Now, if you notice in verse 20, Paul writes that to that Paul writes uh, the way he writes is to learn Christ, not to learn about Christ. And it's actually it's actually an unusual phrase, phrase that occurs nowhere else. What does that mean? Now, what does it mean to learn Christ? I mean, you can't. You normally tell people you learn about, for example, um, the Prime Minister of uh, Malaysia. You learn about. You don't say learn this person, learn Caleb. Learn Brandon. We don't say that. We learn about Brandon. But what does it mean? Now, Paul is saying here, right, this changed life does not begin, right, by academically knowing about Christ, but relationally. Not by academically knowing about Christ, but relationally. Yes, I'm not saying that we must not, we must not know anything about Jesus, who Jesus is. We must know. We must know who Jesus is as revealed in the Bible. We must know the significance of His life, the purpose in our redemption. But it's actually possible to also know these facts and more without personally knowing Jesus. In fact, if I can repeat again, it is possible to know all these, the facts about Jesus and more, and yet not being safe. You know, the Christian life begins when we come to know Jesus personally. However, this initial encounter is not, it's only the beginning Paul continues by saying that knowing Christ is, is to hear and be taught in Christ. Now, to all you King James lovers, I don't know if you all know this, King James lovers translate this as being taught by Him. But actually, the more accurate translation from the Greek phrase is to be taught in Him. And the phrase in Christ sums up actually what Paul meant um, when he writes that. To be taught in Him, right, is to actually grow from this standpoint, this standpoint of this new relationship in Christ. So it's not just being taught by Jesus, but taught, being Him is, I learn everything from this position as a Christian. That is what Paul meant. Now, as we know, Jesus is the embodiment of truth as written in John 14. And so, and so Paul here writes this, it's, it's not saying that you learn truth from Jesus, but you learn truth in Jesus. Now, the third factor he wrote, right, it's very interesting. Do you know what he wrote? Giving a test. The third factor actually he wrote is um, at the truth in Jesus. The truth that is in Jesus. Notice it's a phrase of change. From Christ to Jesus. Now, why did he do that? Is it just because he got tired of writing the word Christ and then said, okay, la, I want to change Jesus. Now, it's actually, right, if you realize, it's a deliberate shift. Paul here writes the truth in Jesus, right? And this is the only time in the book letter of Ephesians, the book of Ephesians, 
that Paul uses the name Jesus. Now, why is it? Paul is actually trying to refer to the historical person of Jesus. Jesus, who was born of the Virgin Mary, who lived his life here on earth, dying on the cross, being raised to life. But of course, I'm sure you're wondering, why use the name Jesus, right? I can use the name Christ, right? Now, um, an author by the name of Martin Lloyd-Jones in his book, Darkness and Light, explained this. Huh? And allow me to read. Christians is not saved by a philosophy of redemption. We are saved by the historical person of Jesus. All of the major religions of the world focuses on teaching and ideas. But our gospel is rooted in the history of one man named Jesus. So here, Paul points out that the changed life begins when we know Christ personally through these three factors. And when we encounter Jesus Christ personally through our faith, our life will change. But really, how does the process work? Now, Paul went on to explain these three changes. With, uh, he used three Greek words, three infinitive words. Um, lay it aside, be renewed, and to put on. Now, what do I mean? Allow me to explain. Uh. Paul writes that the change requires, the changed life requires laying aside the old self. What does it mean to lay aside the old self? If you look at other translations, the old self or some translation writes the old man. Not that, I'm not saying an old, old man. is uh, the past man, in other words. Now, Paul identifies this old man or old self to all our former identities and ways of life. So this old self, right, referred to all that we were before we were saved. Now, Paul used the phrase in Romans when he said that our old self was crucified with him in order that our body of sin might be done away with so that we no longer be slave to sin. Now, in most of the things, right, Paul writes this as almost as accomplished facts. That means it's done deal already. Your old self is done. But in another, another part, Paul also writes as a continuous thing. Now, what do I mean? Huh? This is where the term justification or justified. Now, allow me to explain. Uh, what it means is our identity as sinners is gone. That is the done deal. But we do sin. And so we continuously live to, to put off the sinner identity. Now, I'll give you an example. Uh, I'm wearing a green jacket. Purposely, I'm wearing a green jacket. So, when the word justification is taking off this old self, so taking off this green jacket, okay? This green jacket out. But you see, as I go through my life, I'm still thinking about this green jacket because I've been wearing this green jacket all my life. So I have to constantly tell myself I will not act the way of the green jacket. I will not act the way. Sorry for those who are wearing green jacket now. Lah. I'm not acting the way of the green jacket. Now here's another illustration. When Abraham Lincoln, right, fought and freed the slave, they were officially and legally freed from their many years of servitude. That means from their many years of slavery. But finally, some still went to live on as if they were slaves. The president's proclamation, right, gave them a legal standing as free citizen. That it was a done deal. They were no longer slaves. But out of old habits and way of thinking, many of the people still act like slaves. Similarly, in the book of Exodus, 
when God freed the Israelites from slavery in Egypt, many of them, you know, after they came out, they still continued to think like they were slaves in Egypt. And really, that's what being justified means. Being justified is this. You are no longer a slave. You are no longer a sinner. But many times, because we have lived that life all our life, we still are still in that old habit. And Paul says, right, a changed life requires laying aside this identity as a sinner and continuously laying aside these this habits, these sinful habits. Now, the second thing that Paul writes is that a changed life also means being renewed in the spirit of the mind. Now, as we lay aside the old self, you know, I throw away the old jacket, as we throw, lay aside this old self, Paul writes to be renewed in the mind of the spirit. Now, be renewed, uh, he writes in the Greek one, is a present passive infinitive. Big words, what do I mean? It means it's an ongoing process that God is working in us. Now, interestingly, Paul here refers to the spirit of the spirit of your mind. Now, as I was reading this, right, I wondered, why so difficult? Just write mind lah. Why must put spirit of the mind? Some people interpret this as the Holy Spirit, but I beg to defer. No, as I read through the context, it seems to me that Paul is referring to the principle that regulates or controls our mind. So in some sense, right, let, me, let me be clear. The spirit of the mind is not just mental capabilities, but rather the spirit that controls and directs our thoughts, our abilities, our choices. In other words, right, the driving force in one's life. So Paul is saying, uh, yes, you have laid aside your old self. Be renewed in your driving force of your life. Now, going back to the illustration of the Israelites, before I go back to the jacket illustration, uh, apart from laying aside this identity, right, the Israelites needed to change. They needed to rework. They needed to be renewed in how they do things. They, all this while, they only learned how to be slaves. They only learned to take orders from Egyptian, the Egyptians. But now, now that they have gone out from Egypt, they got to learn a new way, a new way of living, a new drive, a new culture. That is what Paul meant when he said, be renewed in the spirit of your mind. And so likewise, when I threw away the jacket, all my life I've been wearing the green jacket. And now I need to change. I am no longer wearing that green jacket any longer. My mind and my driving force in my life, the one that controls the disposition of my life, my conviction, my priorities, my behavior, my values, all of them that makes up my disposition, as Paul writes here, needs to be continually renewed. Now, when this happens, when we are con continually being renewed, constantly being renewed, Paul writes that the fourth aspect come in. The changed life is daily putting on the new self. Now, let me clarify. I believe when we did put on the new self once and for all, what we did put on the new self once and for all when we encountered Jesus. Now, it's the same thing as laying aside the old self. Now, let me give you the illustration. You're wondering why I bring so many jackets, right? You know, the worship team are wondering why I bring so many jackets. It's this. When put on the new self, it's putting on like this. This is the new self. 
every day, now, the moment when I gave up that green jacket, God gave me this blue jacket. I mean, not literally lah, but I've been given this new jacket that signifies the new identity. But every day, I still need to live my life thinking I'm no longer in a green jacket, but I'm in a new blue jacket. I need to live a life that reflects this blue jacket. How do I do that? It's by actually appropriating the truth of the gospel in our life. Big words again, sorry. But it means to live out the truth of the gospel in our daily life. Now again, how can this be seen, right? And it looks very abstract. Like, how can we see the truth of the gospel in our life? How do we live the truth of the gospel in our life? Now, Christianity, this is where I want to make an important and very clear fact. Christianity is not just about believing in Jesus Christ and going to heaven. Pastor Daniel made it very clear last week in his sermon. If you have time, please look it up. Believing in Jesus Christ, His death and resurrection, is a starting point. Is a starting point. However, more than just that, Christianity is a process of daily surrendering our life and in turn, we can grow to submit to the kingship of Jesus. Can I say that again? Christianity is a process of daily surrendering our life so that in turn, we can grow to submit to the kingship of Jesus Christ. It means that right, it's daily, right? Every day I'm surrendering my life. And when I surrender, I'm also growing to submit my life to the kingship of Jesus. That is what it means, my dear friends, to live out the truth of the gospel in our lives. Now, going back to the, the illustration of the Israelites, you know, when the Israelites were no longer slaves, they needed to learn a new culture, a new way. God had chosen them to be His people, to be a great nation that will bless others and make known who He is. And you know, God had to use Moses to continually walk with them, help them to be renewed in the spirit of their minds, help them to understand, to, to work out this new identity that has been given to them. Now, if you read the book of Exodus, it's a very long and hard process. Many times, Moses was very, very frustrated. Thank God that he's not. Well, God was frustrated at one point. And historically, that generation of Israelites that came out of slavery, they never grasped this new identity. And eventually, God built his nation around a new generation of Israelites. The generation that came out of Egypt were not allowed to enter the promised land. But today, we don't have a Moses. Uh, maybe you need one. Um, can type there and we will probably send a Moses to you. But today, we have more than just a Moses. We have God's Holy Spirit in us that help us to put on this daily new self in our lives, to help us to live out this truth of the gospel. Now, let me summarize again. The changed life, as Paul writes in Ephesians, began by coming to know Christ personally. The changed life in Ephesians requires laying aside the old self. It means being renewed in the spirit of the mind. It means daily putting on the new self. All of this happened when we encountered Jesus for ourselves, but it's also a daily and continual 
process in living out this changed life. You know, we may not have, we may not all have dramatic encounters with Jesus as Paul did. In fact, many of us would begin our Christian life by encountering Jesus through the hearing of the gospel in different ways. But no matter what our experiences are, we need to know that God has actually changed our identity. And in turn, in turn it must change our lives. And I want to make it clear, uh, just, I want to make it very clear. It's not about, uh, so it's not about changing into become a morally upright life. And many times we tend to think that way. It's not about changing into becoming more morally upright. You know, we always hear, right, um, Christians are held to a higher standard. And sometimes we think, oh, is it because we have been changed to a morally upright, upright life? It's not. It's actually being changed to reflect this identity that God has given to us when He redeemed us. Again, I want to emphasize that this change needs to reorientate the way we live, the way we prioritize things, the way what we are convicted about, the way we do things. All these need to reflect this new identity that we put on. If I may put it this way, what drives us? Are we driven by the good news to share? I'm sorry, are we driven by God's love to share this good news? Is our drive all about God? That is the call that God has called us to change. That is the changed life. So, friends, church, can I ask, is our decision solely based on our comfort, our career, our family, our reputation. You know, while it's a lifelong process, we should be able to see distinctive differences between the old self, what we were, and the new self that we are now in Christ. I want to end with a testimony. You know, I grew up in church. Um, really, I grew up in church. My, father, my family were all church leaders. Um, I know the story of the Bible, the story of Jesus Christ, the gospel at the back of my, mind, of my head. In fact, if I were to be really honest with you, and here's a secret for all, all you who are watching today, and I, don't do, please do not do this, but I passed the baptism interview because I knew everything. But if you ask me that time, do I know Jesus? Did I encounter Jesus personally for myself? Did I have a changed life? In all honesty, I'll tell you no. In fact, in school, it became worse. I chose to be baptized because my friends, my peers, were being baptized and I didn't want to be humiliated. But really, I was seeking affirmation. I was seeking somebody's recognition. And because even when I went through baptism, I couldn't get that, I leaned to my friends in school. And some of them, were in gangs. And because they affirmed me, they acknowledged me, I grew closer to them. I joined in whatever activities they called me to. I admit, in those process of doing activity, I've hurt many people. But I counted Jesus one day when somebody asked me this question. Hey, you're a Christian, do you really know Jesus? How come I don't see any change in your life? 
You know, that really hit me. I had to heart, ask the hard truth. Has my life been changed? And so I remember that day, I prayed and said, God, I think I'm ready to encounter you. Encounter me, please. Friends, church, this is the Christian life. The Christian life is a changed life. For those of us, for those of you, maybe you have always heard this story. Maybe you have always tuned on to the video, to this video and watch. You have heard many, many sermons. But you have not, never been, you have never encountered Jesus. Maybe for some of us, our past hold, hold us on. Maybe for us, we have done bad things we are ashamed to even think of. Things that haunt us. But can I tell you today, my dear friends, to my dear church members, to those who are watching, you know, the, the term justified is such a strong word because when Jesus died on the cross, He said, you are made right. Not that you become right, but you are made right. And it's a legal term. When people say, when people say you are justified, it means you are made right. No longer are you wrong because you have been made right. And today, the, the good news of the gospel, the good news is this, that whatever, whatever past that holds us, whatever things that has been, that have burdened us, whatever things that haunt us, we have been doing over and over again. But Jesus has come. He has died and He has raised to life. And now today, He is giving us a new identity. He wants to tell us, you are made right. For some of us, maybe we have heard this over and over, but we never really truly understood it. Today, can I invite us to do so? For those of us who are in Christ, maybe for us, the moment of encountering Jesus has never really hit us. Maybe we have always lived up to this name Christian by being by thinking it's it's a morally upright life. I'm not saying don't live a morally upright life, ah, huh? but we have always tried to live up to this. But it's not about that, my dear friends, my dear brothers and sisters. It's not about that. The Christian life, a changed life today, is about encountering Jesus for ourselves, and through that encounter we will learn to surrender our life even more. We will learn and grow to submit our life to the kingship of Jesus. That is really a changed life, my dear friends.